Hello, I'm your host, Leonard Duncan. Welcome to a new episode of ATV Talk and Motorsports Podcast. Please join us every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We bring you interviews with industry professionals, live events, live news about the motorsports industry in every episode. Enjoy the show. Whether we are out riding with our friends and family or racing in extreme environments, we all need good tires. That's why I recommend GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Greenball Corp. Their products, which include XC Master, Mini Master, and Groundbuster 3, are what leading professionals in the ATV UTV industry are using. You can get your tires at greenballtires.com or find them on Instagram as GBC Tires for further inquiries. Welcome to DBR Racing Products, the leader in 3D modeling and innovations. Since 2015, they have been revolutionizing the industry, starting with their groundbreaking YFZ450R battery boxes. But they didn't stop there. They have continued to push the boundaries, constantly improving their design with each new version. In 2018, they introduced the game-changing Vortex EXO cage, specifically designed to securely hold the Vortex ECU in a safe and sturdy location. This breakthrough innovation ensures your ECU stays protected even in the toughest racing conditions. At DBR, they understand that every detail matters. That's why they also offer an array of essential products to enhance your racing experience. Their spark plug hold downs keep your engine firing at peak performance while their LTR breather boxes ensure optimal ventilation for your machine. Their LT250 engine skid plates are a must have for those seeking unmatched protection. Engineered to shield your engine from impacts and rough terrain, they provide the ultimate defense for your ATV. But that's not all. They've developed ProPeg mounts that allow you to use TRX450R Nerf bars, giving you greater control and maneuverability on the track. To explore their full range of innovative products and learn more about DBR Racing, visit their website at www.dbratv.com. You can also reach them directly at 507-828-1233. Their knowledgeable team is ready to assist you with any questions or inquiries. DBR Racing Products, where innovation meets performance, unleash the power within you. Are you looking for the best suspension technology for your sport ATV? Look no further than Elka Suspension, the industry leader in sport ATV suspension technology. With championship wins in prestigious events such as the Dakar Rally, SCORE, Best in the Desert, ATV MX, Cross Country, and Works, Elka Suspension has established itself as the go-to choice for athletes and enthusiasts alike. But they don't just stop at ATVs. They're constantly expanding into new markets, including UTVs, trucks, SUVs, pit bikes, snowmobiles, and more. Their commitment to innovation 
and quality means they're always looking to improve and adapt so you can enjoy a smooth ride wherever you go. Want to learn more about what Elka Suspension can do for you? Visit their website at elkasuspension.com or give them a call at 450-655-4855. They will always be happy to answer your questions and help you find the perfect suspension solution for your needs. Sarah Price, welcome to ATV Talk. Hey, how are you guys? We're doing great. Thank you so much. You have such an amazing life. I get to watch you on Instagram. Do you ever stop? So everyone says to me, it's so funny. I get this a lot lately and I don't, but at the same time, I don't even think about it. It's just on to the next thing. What are we trying to achieve? Let's make it happen. Let's go, you know, so just a matter of, uh, I guess, wanting to make it all happen. So I have to ask this. I read your your bio. Um, I, like most of they're vague, but how did you get all wrapped up in motorsports and in racing? Uh, where did all that come from? Um, actually, it started when I was eight years old. Um, that was my journey, but I was actually around it my entire life because my dad raced. So my dad came from class 10 buggy racing. Um, I was into horses at the time. And then my brother got into motocross. So one thing led to another, you know, I always grew up, grew up going to Glamis, uh, hanging out at the deserts with my family and riding quads and then being in my dad's buggies and everything like that. But um, once my brother started racing motocross, it was kind of like, we don't know what to do with Sarah because she has way too much energy. She's not scared of anything. And when I take my mom takes my brother to the track, she's like, I need to do something with her because she's driving me crazy. So then they got me a dirt bike and one thing led to another. And now... I, uh, I started racing dirt bikes and then got into cars, took after my dad. Um, and the rest is just history. Who, who is mainly setting up and working on your cars? Do you have a, a whole crew? Because you've raced a multitude of different vehicles. Yeah. Um, you have different crews for each, or is it the same group of people that are developing your Can-Am that worked in on your truck or that work on the other vehicles that you've driven? No, so pretty much each vehicle I drive, um, there's usually a group or a team along with that vehicle. So um, right now, this year, I brought on Allsup when I switched to Can-Am. Uh, I've been super happy with, obviously, like our team dynamic is just astounding. It's insane because... The results prove it. We've won almost everything this year. And I have so much to owe to Allsup for the incredible building he does of uh, the Can-Am platform. And, you know, Can-Am being a part of the pro the program and just the, the vehicle itself, I'm just so impressed. And uh, it goes to show because, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding there. But uh, when I go to racing the trucks, I'm usually with Chattanooga Whiskey, which is um, my, my crew chief is Randy. And he preps the truck in Texas um, at his local shop shop and then also with the help of Kaiser Brothers from time to time. So each vehicle you see, it's kind of, there's usually a team attached to it. And then we all kind of collide and uh, help each other out where we can. That's, that's pretty amazing. So yeah. you've driven a truck, you've driven a Can-Am. Um, there's, you'll have to explain the E extreme. Extreme E. Yeah. yeah, I don't understand. I tried to look that up and I didn't get a full grasp of what that is. 
Yeah. Um, who wouldn't mind getting getting more involved in that? Yeah, Extreme is pretty awesome. The series itself is super diverse. Um, and so it's electric SUVs that are racing worldwide. Um, they're going to remote locations. Um, I'm no longer racing in Extreme e as of now, but I raced the first two years of the series with Chip Canassi Racing. Um, and we were the Hummer uh, EV program. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy different. Um, the, the races are a lot shorter than what I'm used to. And so we're usually doing one or two laps at a time. And then you have a partner. So there's a male and female in every single team. And there's, I think, 10 teams now. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting series, but it's pretty awesome what they're doing. And I know they have some big changes coming up. So it's going to be exciting to see. Do you think you'll go back and race that? Right now, my life is Dakar everything. <laughs> so right now, I am streamlining all my focus on Dakar. That has been my lifelong dream. And I have been asked to go back to Extreme E um, a few times now. But and I, I would love to. Um, uh, but right now, is I've made this commitment to Dakar. And that's been something that's been on my my bucket list since 2015 and so i'm just not letting anything deviate me from that because uh it is sometimes it's hard you know you you uh set your mind to something and then you get a good opportunity and you're like man this you know i want to be able to do it all but sometimes it's not best to do it all because sometimes you got to focus on on what's your priority on that 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 moment so let's get into the dakar thing a little bit uh earlier in our pre-conversation um, we talked about it. How many Dakars have you gotten to race at, at this point? I know you've done a few rallies, but the actual Dakar is a whole new monster. Never raced Dakar rally. This will be my first time ever. Um, this will be, I believe I'll be only the third American female to ever race it. And I'll be the only American female to be there racing it this year. Um, so, or not this year, it's, it's right up new year. So it's always a kind of a hard thing to talk about because it's actually 2024, um, Dakar rally, but yeah, this is something that has been at the top of my bucket list for, man, I don't even know how long. And it takes a feat of everything working together in order to get there because the amount of funding it takes, the amount of endurance it takes, the whole thing together is just insane because we're racing 6,000 miles in 14 days. Like that is not easy to do, let alone you're navigating. And when you're using a road book, this is like a road book right here, just for an idea. That's how we actually get around and know where we're going. So there's so many dynamics that have to really mesh and uh, it's a huge challenge. And so, you know, I love Baja. I think Baja is always going to be a special place in my heart. And I think it will always be the place I go back to. But I can go back there when I'm an old lady. I can go back there any time in my life, right? Dakar, I don't feel I can. So I feel like this is my time to really get there and uh, and show them what we're made of and hopefully make America proud. So you could be the first women American woman to win it. Um, I don't know if you go back and look through history, uh, the Americans haven't fared well in Dakar. So my boyfriend is actually the first American to ever win Dakar. And okay. so he won in 2020. Um, and so, yeah, my, I, we just got back from my first world rally. Um, 
which was in Morocco last week. And uh, taking off for it, we didn't have too high of expectations because this is a race to get our feet wet before Dakar. And this is uh, this rally of Rally Day Morocco is known to be one of the tougher ones and rougher ones as well. And so we got out there and me and Jeremy, my navigator, uh, the first day we got lost. It's it's a given. We're rookies. But then the second day we won and everyone was kind of like, what the heck? Who are you? What are you doing here? And what you're cheating? You're they're checking my car, like all sorts of stuff. Uh, and so it was pretty cool to have that kind of impression, you know, from everyone, like they gave us a lot of respect pretty fast. And not only did we win one stage, we won the next one to back it up and show them like, Hey, no, it's not a fluke thing. Like we're working hard. We're trying to be here and be a competitor. And, uh, I think, uh, we made actually history, the first, uh, female American female to win an FIA rally raid stage. So that was pretty cool. So that definitely put me a lot more on the radar and uh, our expectations kind of got set pretty high <laughs> after this first rally. So we ended up leaving with second overall, which is huge. Um, so yeah, potentially, I think it actually now it's real and it's like, wow, we, we could actually maybe be in a position to win a Dakar rally. So what kinds of things that are are you doing personally? Because it's going to take tremendous mental focus for not just the 14 days of racing, but there are days before that you have to prepare for. What are you doing or what is the team having you do to prepare for that emotional and physical strain? Um, so I run my own team when we go to Dakar, I'm underneath South racing, but I also have my own team within that team, um, to kind of how it works. And so, um, I'm just surrounded by great people. So I'm going to have also who builds my cars here in the States. He's also going with me as my mechanic. Um, Cynthia Prefontaine is going there as my PR and manager. And then I'm going to have Jeremy there as my navigator. Um, so you know, being surrounded by good people like that. And obviously our um, recipe here in the States, it works well. So we're going to try to keep that going in the rally side of things. Um, but for the mental side, you know, I talk to people about this a lot. And uh, I did the Baja 1000 one time and I did the entire thing myself in the trophy truck spec. And this is when we won the championship. It took me 19 and a half hours to finish the Baja 1000 straight. And um, it's all mental. You know, like so many people, like I came from motocross. So like, I'm used to the physical part. I'm used to feeling pain. I'm used to feeling, okay, this is what it takes to really work your muscles to the max and uh, feel the, the physical fatigue um, that then puts a strain on your mental fatigue. And in a vehicle, it's not as fatiguing uh, physically. And so a lot of it's just mental. And I think if I have this like switch and when you just switch it and you're like, I want to make this happen, I want this. There's nothing that's going to come in there and infect that. And all you can do is, uh, you know, expect the unexpected and be prepared for it. 
And the only thing it can do is solution find. So constantly it's going to be solution finding because Dakar will not be perfect. Um, and so you just have to be prepared for that. And as much as possible, I think the biggest thing for me will just take care of yourself leading up, make sure like, you know, you're not tired and sick starting this thing. Um, and then just kind of keep it going and then have your team in place that takes on roles that take stress off of you. So you can focus on what you need to and get what you need to be your best every day, which I don't think there's going to be a lot of sleep involved. So we're going to just be trying to focus on some sleep wherever we can. No, the, the years that I've gotten to do it, uh, I suffered drastically from lack of sleep. Um, <laughs> the, the facilities, I, I don't know what it's like in, in, in Saudi Arabia, but I know the the first year we were in South America, they still tried to hold the bivouac as the bivouac instead of having people drift off into hotels and things like that. And yeah. I don't think I got a shower till day nine. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can see that. Definitely. I, uh, I, I, I put in the budget at least to get a motorhome for me and Jeremy. So we are going to have a motorhome, which will be helpful, but, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't help the noise. <laughs> it's the, it, there's just so much going on, which, which you've been to a rally and, and you've seen a small dose of it. But you you think about it this way: you're going to do the Baja 500 for 14 days in a row. Exactly, and that's what I keep telling people. I'm like, because some people don't understand the World Rally Raid; they're kind of disconnected from it, and it's not as big here in America. But oh, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, so basically, we do the Baja 500 every single day, and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah," and we don't get GPS. <laughs> Right, right. We have to, you have to navigate with that map in your car. And uh, I, I don't know, uh, I'm sure that you found a teacher that helps you guys with how to draw the navigation and how to color your maps, because you yeah. have to go through that every day. Uh, and that's Jeremy's job, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah, so Jeremy, we're actually on an electronic roadbook now. So at least in the side-by-side -side class, we're electronic roadbook. So all that's done for us. Um, so you basically get a file update when you're about 10 minutes from your start time. Um, but then when we're here in the States, we're, we're training with Jimmy Lewis. So he's the man when it comes to rally navigation and training. And, you know, I called him first thing after Morocco and was like, hey, we need help here in the dunes and this and that. And he's like, all right, call me. Hey, talk to me. Like, what are we gonna let's let's get into this a little bit? And he's like, I know exactly what you mean. We have training day set up. We're ready. Let's go. Let's go train more. So it's cool to have that. Oh man, that's that's so helpful to me because I know that the one I went the first time, the rider that I went with, it, we were blind. Yeah. We had no idea. He had no idea. And it, it was kind of scary in some ways, but me you know when i got home i'll never do that again and within two or three days i was like gosh are we gonna go next year yeah <laughs> i feel like that's how it is it's like some of these crazy like memories i have are like these things where i actually in the moment i was like this is hell what am i doing why am i here like and i feel like that car is gonna be that but that's what makes that thing so special because then you kind of realize I did that. Like, 
what? Like, I want to go back and I know I can do better here and there. I know where I can improve, know where I can push harder. And I think that's the part that gets you hooked. And that's the addiction factor of racing in general. <laughs> Pretty much. So I was, I was with Raphael Sonic in, um, we were in, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, that anatomic desert in um, Chile. Oh, yes. I was racing there not too long ago. And it, it's awesome. I love that place. Uh, I mean, really? not I was today. like a prune after leaving there. Uh, well, I got to ride there on the race machine. Um, because he wanted me to test it. And I'm thinking, we're in the middle of a race. What do you what do you mean you want me to go test your machine? We got a race tomorrow. And you got to go do this. So Raphael's a, a unique individual. But on this stage, he was on the machine for 12 hours. And um, he's he got lost. There was problems with the waypoints. And, you, you know, you, you'll, you'll experience it through the whole Dakar thing. And... He goes, and I go, were you tired? He goes, you know, being tired and being, having the pain, think about it in your, as your whole life. It's just one little blip in your life. So really just think of it that way, you know, tomorrow it'll be gone and it'll just be a segment of your life. And it's just one little segment. So no, it's no big deal. I rode for 12 hours. Big deal. You know, yeah. I got some blisters. It, it yeah. is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, right there, changed my whole focus on the rally and the misery that I was going through. I wasn't even riding. I was just the guy working on the bike all night. My whole attitude changed. Everything changed because, you know, if he can go out there and suffer that long, me staying up and missing some, missing a meal or missing a shower or not working on them or working on the machine late. That's nothing. You know, Yeah, you're going to be driving and dealing with it. Your co-driver is going to be dealing with it and your crew that that's their whole job is to just make you comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have a great crew. Um, me and Mitchell, we, we, this year, we kind of, you know, I didn't plan to race as much as I have this year, but when me and Mitchell teamed up, we really just had this crazy um, racing chemistry where it was like, Hey, you want to race this? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, you want to race this too? It's right after. Well, I don't have time to work on a car. No, no, I, I got the car. I'll build it. Let's go do that. And then we'll do this. We'll share driving duties. So we ended up racing. Uh, I don't even know. Mid years after Sonora rally. We finished the rally. Next day was Nora started. Went straight to Nora because the car was together from Sonora still. Then went straight from Nora to Dos Mares, straight to Trail Emissions, and then the Baja 500. And we won all of them besides Dos Mares because we didn't have a pit crew and we ran out of gas. And that was... I have to say it was a time of my life, but we did a lot of sleepless nights to make it happen. And we're loving every minute of it, enjoying it and just going for it. But there's a lot of not sleep happening. So that's one thing where I'm like, okay, can you handle not sleeping? I know Mitchell can. So he's going to be a great mechanic for this. Cynthia, she just goes with anything. She's easygoing. Jeremy, we're going to have to make sure he sleeps. (laughs) I was like, so (laughs) me and him will be in the motorhome. Making sure we get the Z's. I'll make sure Cynthia's on guard to make sure that that happens. <laughs> so 
it's it's super critical that you two do get that rest. Um, you've raced so much. Do you have more than one car? Because there's no way one car could do all that. No, you're right. I uh, so I raced the Mint 400 KOH and Sonora Nora on one car, um, wow. and then we went straight to the Baja 500, and we were kind of like okay, this car now we need to really do either a full rebuild or whatever it takes to make it now just a training car for Dakar. Since Sonora, I won the road to Dakar. We knew we were going to Dakar. Um, so then Mitchell built uh, my Baja 500 car in three days um, for us to race the Baja 500 together. So I started, he finished. And so that was my second car. Um, and that's now our new race car that I'll be racing the rest of this next year too. And then hopefully, um, I'll be switching over to the new Maverick car. And you have a whole nother car that's going, it's probably getting ready or already gone for Dakar, correct? No. So the most affordable way to do this and correct way, since we are newbies and not knowing the rules and, uh, the, the FIA is very strict when it comes to uh, the rules and regulations and building a vehicle. So I'm doing an arrive and drive program with South Racing, and they're the ones that have uh, multiple Dakar championships. And so they know what they're doing, especially in the T4 class, um, which is now it's called the, the side-by-side class um, only. They just uh, released the new wording for classes. So it was T4. Now I'm the only, I'm the side-by-side class. Um, and so it's basically a stock platform uh, and you're, you're limited on speed. So it's pretty stock UTV class. Okay. All right. That, that makes it a little, a little more explainable, you know, with it's so expensive to have everything shipped and the entries for the trucks Will they be helping in the maintenance of of the vehicle during the race? Okay, perfect. Yeah, so South Racing's an arrive and drive program. They have, um, so they have the big trash trucks that follow us for making sure that the vehicles work and they get to the finish line, as well as um, they have their uh, support trucks with all the parts on there. Um, and they have the hospitality set up. They kind of handle a lot of the logistics. Um, I still ship my own things, but, uh, yeah, a lot of it's already handled by them, which is great. And so it makes it a lot easier for us our first year and first, uh, go at this to make sure that we do it right. And we know kind of what we need to focus on and what needs to happen for the future. If we don't have their help, but the South racing is incredible. It's such a great, um, a great way to be able to do this, but it isn't cheap for any means. So it's been a lot to raise the money and come up with it. And so we've been just hustling hard and trying to do everything we can to campaign it. And that's what um, we came up with, with the SP road to Dakar that um, Jackson Motorsports helped me kind of figure out. And so, yeah, we launched the campaign and try to have everyone a part of it. And, and now we're, we're trying our best to just recoup that money because my savings account is gone. (laughs) Right. So, you haven't mentioned this much and, and and because I don't know a lot about your your personal life um what do your parents think uh my parents uh my parents just know me they know how badly I wanted to get to Dakar and they know that that's kind of like that there's nothing 
bigger than that, to be honest. There's absolutely nothing that tops my bucket list more than Dakar. Um, so they're kind of like, well, this is your time and place to do it. And they're like, you know, you're who you are. You always figure out a way and you always try to make it happen. If you really want something, no one's going to stop you. So they're, they're super excited and supportive. And um, yeah, it was actually my dad's birthday when we won Sonora on the road to Dakar. So we came across the finish line on his birthday. That even makes it even funner. Um, having a father that's a race car driver as well, does he get involved in trying to help with some of the things that you come across that, that you may need, you know, tips when you're driving here, or tips when you're driving there? Yeah. Um, especially growing up. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of reached this like pinnacle moment where my dad's like, you know, I raced, but I never raced at this level. Like he goes, I never thought of the stuff you're, you're doing and what you're doing now. And he's like, I have no idea now. Like he goes, this is a whole nother ball game. Like he goes, I didn't think you would be racing trucks. He goes, hell, I never thought I'd even be close enough to touch one of these trucks and let alone my daughter be racing it. So it's kind of like, you know, he, the, the basic grassroots off-road, he, that's what's made me who I am. And that's from him. Right. But then now it's evolved and it's just became such a big thing and such a big part of our lives. And you have sponsorships, you have the business side. And he's like, I never dealt with any of that. He goes, so now he's kind of like, you know, I'm here when you need me, but uh, I have no clue <laughs> like, <laughs> what you need. So here when I, you do need me. <laughs> so I want to I want to touch on a tough portion of the conversation because this is so focal point in, in our society today is men and women in the same sports and mm-hmm. you being obviously a successful woman in a man's world. Do you get any of the pushback from the men ever, you know, because, you know, some guys do get a little butt hurt when the lady comes in and shows them how to do it. Yeah, most definitely. Um, sorry. No, actually, you know, it's really funny. I think now I have a little bit more of a name where people recognize my name. Um, so they kind of like, will will think a little differently than the first impression and typical, Oh, there's this chick, you know, stay away from her. She might crash into you or something dumb. Um, but now, you know, it, it's never been that because I think my results have done, um, the talking and I've always tried to keep it at that. Like, okay, well get on the track and let's kind of see. And so it's no longer the girl it's, Oh crap. Sarah's here. You better bring her a game. You know, she's fast. And so that's pretty cool. And I have gotten the other sides of it, especially growing up and pushing through the ranks, you know, and people are like, Oh, you just got beat by a girl when you're a little kid, you know? And it's kind of like, well, she's fast dad. So what what are you going to do? You know, I'm trying my best out there, but she did beat me. She is faster or whatever the case is. And so it's pretty cool when you see it kind of transition from the first impression to the respect and knowing like, well, she's put the work in, like she deserves it, you know? And so it's pretty cool. The respect I do get from my competitors. Do you feel that you've had to have to work twice as hard to prove yourself? In, in certain situations where maybe a man wouldn't have to? 
Oh, 100%. And I think, um, I think especially now more than ever, it's been uh, something that when social media is involved, you know, you have female, you have looks involved, you have the whole typical sex sales thing going on. So it's kind of like, it's a very hard fine line, I feel like to stand by what you really believe in. And also too to make sure that you're not looked at as just that. And so it's something I want to portray to the younger generation. Like I'm out there working hard, doing the best I can. And then you can get on the side and be like, oh, wow, she's actually marketable too, you know, and that have that be the extra bonus instead of it be um, always about that. Because in the world today, you know, you have so many influencers and things where it's like, I want to be looked at as an athlete. And so that as a female, I think is a lot more difficult to navigate than a man. Um, but other than that, I think from the racing side, uh, in the end, people see how hard you work. And if they see you putting it together in a professional manner, then there's nothing they can really say or do about that. And of course, they would want to be a part of that, you know. Well, what I was going to say, you answered my next question ahead of time. Um, I was going to say, you are a very attractive young lady. So that is a marketable feature for you. And all of your sponsors are like, well, this is a plus. This is a plus. And she can drive. Yeah, exactly. So so you cover all the bases right off the top. Yeah. And so the first thing I want them to look at is be like, what's this name up top? That's a female name that we see who's crushing it. And then they can look into me and realize, oh, okay, like she's done really well. And whatever the case is, it looks really nice program. And then she has the marketing side. Wow, too. Oh, wow. She's yeah, she's actually like a marketable girl. Like, why doesn't she advertise that more? And it's like, because I want you to look at my racing first. So then you can look at me later (laughs) and you can use me for your promotional things to help your company. But, you know, I always wanted to be, um, you know, there's an easy way as a female. And, you know, sometimes it's harder because looks do sell. And if you if I post a picture of my face in it with my car, Oh boy, those interactions are out of this world. If I just post a vehicle uh, picture of me, like my me racing in action, usually not so much. And it's just kind of crazy. That's the way of the world. And so there's that fine line. You can't constantly have to balance, I think, as a female in this world is to, um, you know, how the perception is and how you're perceived as an athlete and stick by what you really believe in. Because like, I believe in being looked at first for my talent and skill than anything else, being a female or having looks. And so that's something I think uh, every generation of females coming up, I hope, uh, also believes in. I, I think that's a great, a great base. So that being said, you speak very professional. You're clear. You enunciate. There's no him hawing around in in your dialogue. Did you come across that just because, or is it something that you've had to teach yourself, or or or, or is there a class that you would go to? Um, so I grown up racing dirt bikes since eight years old. Um, I went to my first national, I think at 12 or 13, um, where I won my first national on a dirt bike and then it just kind of like skyrocketed. And then I was traveling, racing all over the United States, racing nationals. So that means I couldn't go to school. 
So I was homeschooled and I worked my butt off in school because I absolutely hated it, to be honest. I just wanted to get it over with. So the faster I did my work, the faster I could be graduated. But my dad, it was one thing he instilled in me, like, if you're going to fast track that side of your life to race, then you need to make sure you have every point of, you know, the professionalism, knowing how to speak on the podium, thank your sponsors. Like you need to have this whole package together and be representable for your sponsors. If this is what we're going to do and really put a lot of focus into you make sure you get past your school and you graduate. And as long as you get a diploma, we'll let you be homeschooled. So I figured out how to get a diploma by being homeschooled. I graduated at 16 to get it over with so I could focus on racing. But um, I was groomed from a very young age, I think, to talk properly. And the funniest thing is right now, being on a podcast or being in any interview, most of the time, my words come out better. And they come out easier because I'm under pressure. I don't know why. But you have a one-on-one conversation with me. And sometimes I'm just like, where am I even going with this story? What am I saying? Why did that just come out when it's like a casual setting? But when it's under pressure and it's a professional setting, it's kind of crazy. Like it kind of just flows out. And I don't know why, but it's always been that way for me. And I think because I've been grown up, like taught that from a young age. So if, if we're going to reach out to the young athletes, male or female, what is the what are the things that you would point them to to focus on in their young careers? Oh, that's a good one. I would say um, figure out what makes you tick in the racing. What is your favorite thing about it? And stand by that and believe in that and make that a point inside yourself. Like, this is what I believe in and this is why. That's number one. And that's why you want it. And number two is the marketing and the business side, because now racing is uh, a lot more of that than you would think, especially in four wheels, because in four wheels, it comes down to a lot more funding um, where motorcycles and dirt bikes, you know, two wheels was a lot more um, results and funding, but you didn't need as much funding in order to per, to do that at the highest level. And so marketing is key, uh, making sure you have a professional looking team um, to where sponsors want to be a part of it. Have your own brand, like make yourself something that stands out and uh, know how to do that. So one, what's your passion? Two, how do you sell it? That's that's good. How do How did you learn how to promote your social media? Um, a lot of sleepless nights Googling. <laughs> I would have to say, to be honest, um, it's, it's always a tough thing. Social media is not easy. It's, uh, it's a lot of work. A lot of time has to go into it. And then you have obligations. So then you have kept contracts you have to abide by. You have uh, promises you've made. And so you have to make sure you're keeping all those and keeping track of all of that because it's not it's not easy to do. Um, but yeah, social media is something I've learned a lot about. Um, I have found that as a person racing, people want to know more about me. Um, not necessarily like want it to be a commercial thing. So sometimes, you know, I I, I don't put everything out there on social media, but I also don't hide a lot. And so I'm very blunt, open person. And people just want to see like what's actually going on. Like, here's the truth. Like today 
I messed up in my race and I'm pretty bummed about it. Or, hey, I just won my first stage and I'm crying. Like, this is what it is. And people want to see that. They want to see what's raw. And I don't think it necessarily means you always have to have a videographer around. And a lot of sponsors want the really uh, good content and the good quality content. But I don't think on social media, um, fans that follow you necessarily care for that. They just want to see you. I I kind of agree. So you've been on multitude of different shows and you've spoken to multitude of different media people. I script nothing. Yeah, same. We barely had a conversation before we started this. And I read your bio. I, I had to read a couple things on the on the rallies a couple times so that I would remember them. Uh, maybe it's because I'm old, but I believe that spontaneity and I feed off of you. Yeah. My questions come from you. Like the next one that I'm going to come up with is if you for all of the people that are listening would explain the contract, the contract and the obligations in the contract, because not everybody understands that you sign that contract and you have an obligation to promote monster. How do you promote monster? And if they ask you to do 30 posts a year, do they outline that for you or do you have to outline that? So I think, uh, especially in motorsport business today, it's so unique and off-road in general, because off-road is, we're still kind of the little guys, I would say on the business side of uh, motorsports. And so you get to IndyCar and all these crazy series, like it's a whole nother thing, um, which I've got to experience that with Extreme Heat, you know, and uh I, I love how we are still kind of grassroots and off-road and it's kind of the mom and pop deals, you know? And so, but most of the time, you know, there's money involved. There has to be a contract. And so when you're taking money from a sponsor, they want to know that they're getting their ROI or they're getting the benefit that they're paying you for. And so they want to make sure they're protected. So most of the time a contract um, is usually provided by the company sponsoring you and you guys negotiate what you think and, there's times, you know, I've had some really big companies come to me and say like, hey, we want to be involved and we want this many posts and stories and this is how we want them to look every month or every week. And I'm just like, I can't do that for you. I'm sorry. I was like, because I just know one, you're not going to get the benefit because my followers don't want to see, hey, I'm Sarah Price and I have this, you know, like they want to be like, hey, I'm Sarah. This is actually what I use and why I use it. And I believe in it. So go support those that support us. Like, that's what people want to see is they want you to be real and actually authentic with it, not just a commercial. And so, you know, when you're constantly posting a company over and over and over again, and it's not like authentic, people don't care. And so it doesn't give you a good look, doesn't give them a good look. And so that's one thing, you know, sometimes I battle where I have to try to figure out, okay, how can I do this organically? Or how can I do this to where, you know, it actually shows that I care about this product. This isn't just a promotional thing. Um, but yeah, most of the time they they know what they want. And then you have the companies that like you worked with for so long, like Monster, for instance, or um, Raceline Wheels or BF Goodrich, like 
there are companies with me that they're just like, we believe in you. We trust you. We know you work your butt off for us. And so just keep doing what you're doing and keep us along for the ride and make sure that you can give us as much love wherever you can. And I do. And they make it easy because then it's not an obligation necessarily. Like, obviously, there's always going to be obligations, but it's then something that's like, oh, I can I can put them in here. I can do that right now. Like, let's do that. And it just makes it easy and simple. And so there's so many ways to do it. But then there's also times I provide the contract, like we negotiate and you figure out what you want to propose to them. And that's usually companies that maybe don't have so many athletes or they're not used to dealing with them. But um, yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And one thing is, is uh, I've always wanted to do more of it. And it's like business to business deals. So connecting people and figuring out how to be kind of that middle athlete or person in between the businesses to utilize both relationships. That's outstanding. Um, one of the questions I was having while you were talking about that is you, you believe it's much easier to promote your sponsors naturally versus a contract. Uh, I can't even talk. Sorry. Rather than the the contract saying that you have to do it, you would prefer them to, hey, I'll promote you watch this is how we're going to do it naturally versus you forcing me to do it in a uh, cookie cutter style yeah a hundred percent you know and and sometimes it's you know you have obligations and you need those in order to abide by them because you know if you you have so many companies you have to keep happy it's uh it's sometimes tough you know like right now i don't have my dakar title sponsor And so the companies that have came on in a smaller way are getting a lot of exposure because they, they believed in me and it might be all they can do. Right. And so I'm going to, while I don't have a title sponsor to truly focus everything around, I'm going to focus on all the ones that are helping me get there. And so they're getting a lot more extra exposure, but you know, it's something that it's like, Hey guys, like this is the case. And so it's great for you. And and let's roll with it. But at the same time, you know, when I do have that title sponsor, it's, you know, sometimes they need to make sure that they're really getting what, what they're paying for. Cause it's not going to be cheap to pay for my title spot for Dakar, you know, and I have to keep it that way. Cause if not, it's just me paying for it out of my pocket. And I am as of right now. So it's just working all these things and trying to make it happen, you know, and when I'm not racing, I'm a stunt woman. So I, my main income comes from stunts. And so, um, I have no problem paying for my passion. If it's really what I want, like something like Dakar, like I've been saving my money up for a few, well, for a long time now. And so I'm finally like, I don't care. I don't feel bad draining my complete savings to go to Dakar. (laughs) No, it doesn't sound like it. So you brought up this being a stunt woman. Uh, what are some of the, the stunts that you perform? Um, a big one everyone always recognizes is Jumanji. So I was Ruby Roundhouse. Um, and then I've doubled for a lot of actresses. Um, but yeah, Lady Gaga, Emma Roberts, um, all sorts of things really. But a lot of my work I do is, uh, you don't see my face and I'm usually in the car commercials. So a lot of the car commercials, um, I'll either be riding or driving, mostly driving, but um, sometimes I'm on a motorcycle too. Oh, really? You're still fairly talented on a motorcycle, huh? 
Yeah, I still still kind of keep it kind of in my life. Like I don't ride as much as I should, that's for sure. But um now I do a little bit more since Ricky and me are together. But yeah, the stunt side, I still get stunt jumps and motorcycles. So yeah, it still works out. That that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, you're not in any of those violent car crashes they show, are you? I haven't been in one yet. No, I've almost had to do rolls like three times and they've all got canceled on me. One of them was in Jumanji the day before the Mint 400. I was supposed to do a cannon roll and it was in the uh, UTV in Glamis. And then the stunt coordinator just said, no, we're just going to put a dummy in it instead. And I was like, well, that worked out. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was prepared. I was ready, but <laughs> I don't have to do it. That's great. <laughs> Well, that's that's pretty cool. You get paid to roll UTVs. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge UTV fan because everyone I've tested and driven, I've wrecked. Yeah. So I, I for some reason, we don't get along, and I, I'm better to stay on two two wheels and and quads because every time I get in a UTV, it it turns upside down. Yeah, you got to be patient in four wheels. It's something I've learned. Like, you don't, like, I don't have my body to move around the vehicle, right? So you have to figure out how to use the weight in your foot. And that's the the whole key with the UTV. Well, there's something that I'm missing because, geez, I just, I just haven't figured it out yet. Um, <laughs> maybe someday, but I, I'm not, uh, I'm maybe I'm just not skilled enough to drive. I, I don't know. No, it's just taking it. You realize like when it feels fast, it's probably is too fast. And so when it feels slow is when you're going faster and you don't realize it. It's kind of weird. Like there's these moments like people, I remember my friend Jolene, she was asking me how I go through a corner at Terror Cross this one year. And I was like, let me think about that. I was like, actually, I don't throttle at all. Like in the middle, I just give it a pause and then I go. And then it just gives you a second to pivot the car. And it's like, ever since I've made that stuck in my head, like, oh, that's how you go through a corner in a car. You know, it's just, it's, you find these little tricks and it's kind of all hand in hand with everything. It's the same thing, like in motocross, you know, you have to brake, get on the front. And that's that moment of pause. So then get on it. That's a good way to describe it because I'm probably lead footing it through the turns. Uh, I was out testing uh, ECUs with a company that we deal with in, in the ATV world called Vortex. And he was, he was setting up the curves and I was driving the car and he was taking the data and he just had happened to be doing some work on the laptop outside of the car while I was driving it, fortunately. And I was trying to get it to maneuver like you would on an ATV. I was, uh, I was drifting. It was, I was going, I was drifting too far and I tried to get it to correct like you would on an ATV and it didn't work. Obviously yeah. right on the, right on the roof, you know, yeah. you know, and, and not understanding, which you understand this probably way better than I do, how important it is to be strapped in, wear your helmet. You, I don't know if you wear a Hans device or a neck brace. Yeah. Or I didn't have a helmet on. I wasn't strapped in right. You know, yeah, could have been way dangerous. Could have lost some arms. Uh, well, I hit my head on the ground. You know, had a headache yeah. for a day or so. But 
yeah, wear all your safety gear. Everybody that's listening, wear your safety gear, please, because it's yeah. so critical. So critical. It really is. And I actually, I'm an ambassador for uh, Tread Lightly. And so Tread Lightly is the ones that really advocate to get the word out. Like, hey guys, this is what we can do to keep our deserts open and what we can do to protect ourselves. And so it's a huge thing. Like safety isn't just uh, protecting yourself, but it's protecting everyone's fun. Because if you get hurt out there, well, then now whoever owned that land or whatever county you're in or whatever the case is, now they want to use that and they want to fight. Well, we don't need to have this because people are getting hurt. Then all of us can't go to the desert because you didn't wear a helmet. So it's like, you know, one, you can be selfish and hurt yourself, but two, you can ruin it for everyone else. So wear your helmet, <laughs> protect yourself and be smart because there's no reason not to protect the fun. Correct. Exactly. And that's, you said it better than I do. I don't want to be a statistic and trust me, you're coming from, we come from the era where we drank out of the garden hose. We didn't wear helmets when we rode our bicycles. We did all the crazy stuff without all the protective gear. Yes, we survived, but they make helmets for a reason. They put seatbelts in these cars for a reason. Use them. uh, And when you do hit your head on the ground or get hurt, go to the doctor. Yeah, 100%, especially with the head. Exactly. That's that's pretty amazing that that you get to go do all these cool things. But you still haven't answered my question because I haven't asked it right. What's the craziest stunt that you've got to do? Oh, craziest stunt. You know... I don't do too many crazy stunts. Like people think stunts, they think you're getting like all these things, but I will tell you about one job. So it was for a cell phone commercials for Microsoft. And um, Jason Statham was the guy, uh, the actor on it. And they called me and they were like, Hey, can you really a motorcycle with bulls running down the street and someone sitting backwards on the back of your motorcycle on fire with a mask on? And I was like, sure, guess we'll figure that one out. <laughs> and so I said, yes. And I showed up and a lot of it was CG'd in. And then it turned out that the bulls were like on one side of the street and they barricaded them off. But, you know, going into that job, I was kind of like, well, this is going to be interesting. This is really going to be crazy. And then seeing it later, it was like, it did turn out really good. And it looked just exactly like they explained it. But they didn't tell me I wasn't going to be straight in the middle of the chaos, which is good. But, you know, we were, obviously. Um, yeah, I didn't really know. There's none that really, like, pop out. I would say Javondi was really fun because he just got to rip around on the dunes the whole time. And then um, I, I did a horse stunt because I came from horses before motorsports, right? And uh, that was for Lady Gaga's John Wayne video. The horse wasn't trained to be having me hang off the back of it. So we were galloping and the horse is bucking and it's not supposed to be doing that. And so that I keep getting flown up on to the front where the, the cowboy was actually in the saddle. And so that was a pretty gnarly one because the saddle had a, a metal on it, like, you know, decorations or whatever. And I was in barely anything because I'm playing Lady Gaga and my legs from trying to grip the horse, the metal kept ripping up my legs. So I have scars on the inside of my legs today, actually, from it still. <laughs> well, that was a pretty crazy one, but I just wanted to say I did a horse stunt and I did. So <laughs> do do the stars acknowledge the fact that you're doing the 
thing that they won't do? So it's, I don't know necessarily. So like I was Danica Patrick stunt double before, which people are like, what? I don't get it. Yeah. And I think it came down to a contract thing where she's not allowed to do anything to hurt herself. And so it's not that she's not capable. And a lot of times it's, it's not that they're not capable. It's about time and money and it's maybe about contract obligations. So maybe like Danica, for instance, couldn't do that because she's not allowed to in a contract. And so I had to play that part for her. And then, um, let's say like with the, uh, the Lady Gaga thing or not the, I wouldn't say that one. Let's say like a regular car commercial. They have me come in to be somebody to drive that, drive the car for them. And they need that take, you know, they, they need that one specific shot. And so you have to be so crucial on your part where you want the tire, the, the, you know, inches away from camera, whatever the case is. And you need to back up when you are told to back up and you need to do it really fast. You need to make sure you get right back to that mark. And that takes a lot of skill and just being aware of your surroundings. Then also on top of that, you have people running in front of your vehicle who don't know what they're doing. You need to be safe for them. You need to be just, the, the driving needs to be the second thing. The first thing needs to be safety. And that's one thing that people kind of, uh, and stunts forget. They just want to think the cool biggle you just got blown out of a cannon type thing. When it's like, no, there's a lot more to it. And that is the stunt people that are busy and in the industry is because of that. Um, so yeah, mainly every day is just trying to save them money to do my job better and faster. That's so cool. And, and I'm sure that there's a lot of work out there. Yeah, especially right now, like for a female. Um, and then the even more crazy thing in Hollywood is, uh, you know, the very much right now is about having different races. And so it's very mixed. And so, yeah, it's right now it's women, right? Women are the new thing, not the new thing, but like everything's a lot more women forward, I would say, in the world today. And, um, you know, you're seeing more women CEOs, more top women racers. You're seeing women just take on uh, the top roles and everything anymore. And so everything needs to be 50-50 in the world today, and especially to the world sensitive to that. And so, yeah, as a female, there's a lot more work right now. Well, that's a good thing for you, right? Yeah, not a bad thing for me, you know, not for for sure not. But, you know, sometimes I do kind of feel bad for the guys because it's like, hey, I'm taking your job right now because, you know, like we haven't worked forever. Like, I get it. This is the world today, I guess. You got to take it when you can because it may not be there tomorrow, right? 100%. Yeah. Yep. So after your Dakar dream is reached and when you cross the finish line, in first place, where do you go from there? You know, I hope that we do well in that card where I'm satisfied because if not, I'm going to want to go back. <laughs> and so I think I'm going to want to keep going back to that car until I win it. And um, I really hope that we can get the correct funding because I can only afford to go to that car myself paying for it which I'm getting help. I have about half of it funded as of right now. Um, but after Dakar, I like to continue in the World Rally Raid Championship to do the rest of the year out in my class since Dakar is the first race of the World Rally Raid Championship. Um, and then, yeah, 
if I, I didn't win Dakar, I want to go back and try to win it. And then after that, uh, I would hope that, yeah, maybe that leads into a really awesome ride to keep progressing in that field. If not, just stay true to my team and just freaking keep running my program here in the States and make it bigger, better. And I really want to advocate for the class that I race UTVs in in America, because I feel like there's way too many classes in the UTV field. And I think the true stock class needs to be a true stock class. And there's no such thing. Um, I'm in the super stock class, they call it the pro super stock. And I'm like, I'm in a true stock vehicle to an extent. Like I have I have um, also put stock replacement arms on the car and that's it pretty much. And then the rest is safety. So like I still have a front mounted radiator and I still in the Baja 500, I got fourth UTV overall. So still you can compete, but I do think that the stock class needs to be stock class. There doesn't need to be any crazy radiators being changed at the back. If you're in a vehicle where the radiator comes in the back, great. Then you need to buy that vehicle and race that one in the stock class. But um, they say the stock class is now not stock. It pretty much isn't because racing it's modified cars that cost $100,000 to build. So really want to advocate for that after I'm done. <laughs> Which I agree with you a thousand percent. If you're going to call it a stock class, make it stock. You know? Yeah, make it actually stock. And the uh, but it's like, why wouldn't the OEMs be more on board with that? Because that is their true equipment being raced. It's not the class of the builders. But, you know, I'm all for the class of the builders. And you can step up to that class or have that class or be in that class. But the stock class should be about, hey, one, yeah, we're in a true stock vehicle. But we're actually like, we're, we're it's a driver's class. It's a spec class. It's something that you can showcase, hey, like, Anyone can do this. It's more affordable. Like you can bring more people into the sport. You don't have to have a $100,000 car in order for you just to compete. And that's what I feel like, you know, now in the stock class, they're they're kind of making it that because I know at uh, KOH just last year, it was like you're racing against fully modified cars that I know people put 150 grand into. And you're like, how does this work? This doesn't make sense. I'm in a car that I just put like a cage on and seats in a six point harness and radios. And, you know, I have wheels and tires on it and stock replacement arms and that's it. Like, let's go. And it's, it's crazy that, you know, just the way the classes are. And there's so many now. I just, I have my, I've actually written it down myself, what I think the classes should be. And I don't know how to pursue that, but I really want to figure out how to pursue that and advocate for the correct classes. I think that what you're talking about rolls over into so many different forms of racing, ATVs, whether it be UTVs, having stock is stock means as it rolled off the showroom floor with your safety devices on it and race that don't, yeah. don't change it into something that it's not. Don't change the frame. Don't move the radiator. Like you said, um, I think where they at, where, where you go with that is you go to the promoters, um, score best in the desert legacy. And you sit down with those people and, and you meet with them. I'm not sure that you by yourself have enough clout, yeah. but maybe you and can am you can am and Polaris 
you know, maybe some of the other car manufacturers come in and go, Hey, this is the class. And I guarantee if Can-Am and Polaris went in and to uh, score and said, this is the class we want. That's the class they would have. Yeah. And it should be able like, there needs to be, I think it might be even bigger than that. You know, like racing worldwide, you have FIA and FIA is the one that reg- like it has the regulations for it all. Right. And so I feel like there needs to be like USAC or someone who steps up and they kind of have the classes and that's the way it is. And it's so all these associations in America have to abide by it in a way, but then you also want to keep grassroots grassroots. So it gets tough. I think uh, the FIA, they're just trying to make it as safe as possible and they don't think of budgets or anything like that. And I think that's a whole different ball game than us in America. You know, us in America, we're kind of like the wild, wild west, they say, right? But there hasn't been a sanction that's came in to, well, I think USAC is the closest thing because USAC, um, like when we race stadium super trucks, right? Like we're bumping, we're hitting, like it's it's wild out there in our stadium super truck and they sanction it. And so they don't they don't make us go and talk about every incident and all that stuff. And they're, they're reasonable, I think, with their safety requirements. And I think um, in off-road racing, there needs to be more consistency, I guess, is what I'm looking for. A federation, not a federation, or, you know, some, something like USAC or someone to come in that has ultimate say that makes the consistency stay the same across to everywhere, where it's the same safety regulations, it's the same classes, and they kind of are the representation of that. There needs to be something like that, I feel like. You're asking for you're asking for something that we've been asking for in racing, all forms of racing forever, is a governing body that would not be biased and that is always going to the letter of the law is this, and that's what we go by. Uh Sarah, I would I appreciate your time knowing how busy you are and the the fact that uh, you fit me in in your in your tight schedule. Um we will definitely be in contact with you for more information. Um, yes. And I want to thank ATV Talk. Uh, my daughter didn't get to come and be part of this, but she's the one that does the editing and was super excited when I mentioned you were coming on the show because she checks the Instagram a lot. She's the one that is involved in it, and she got gets to see a lot of your posts. So, so she was excited to to see this um and uh unfortunately she didn't get to participate today Darn but, it. well she also we all have other jobs this is yeah unfortunately this isn't the only thing i get to do and you know I, I yeah <laughs> you know what it's like having oh, yeah. multiple hats um if there's any way that we could possibly talk after you come back from dakar i would yeah. love that a, a follow-up um I'll definitely be watching the calendar and 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 send you out a a question when you're free. But uh, good luck in Dakar. If there's a Go Fund or a funding page that you have, would you please uh, let us know? So that yeah, just my website. So just Sarah Price it. MX, yeah. So SarahPriceMX.com, and uh, I'm actually going to be doing some really cool stuff. So giving a free ride away and all sorts of stuff. So. Um, yeah, keep tabs on that. And then I'm having an event in Temecula, California on December 2nd. So that will be released here soon. Do you have, uh, flyers or information on that so that we can post it on our social media as well? 
I will soon. Yeah. So we haven't yet released it, but uh, we will be having something made here soon. Well, if you have something you want released, I know you have great coverage, but if you'd like it on ours, we will be more than glad to put it on. We have five or six different sites that we post things on. So we would help you out. Yeah. And we'll put you on the newsletter list so you can get everything. I'd appreciate that. I would greatly appreciate that. Again, thank you so much for your time. Um, and and all all the best. We're, we'll be cheering for you. I have the Dakar app on my phone, so I'll be watching. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you very much. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. If you're in need of a consultation for your current racing program, a custom ATV, or an industry guest speaker, I have the company for you. Duncan Technologies International, Inc. offers host, MC, and guest speaking services at events. Builds custom ATVs for recreational riding or racing around the world. And they offer consulting services for professional teams or individual racers. Send inquiries to Duncan Tech International at gmail.com or call 619-716-1532 for more information. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to share us with your family and friends. The podcast is available on all streaming platforms and you can find us on social media as ATV Talk Podcast. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, Rumble, and Twitter. 